Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we'll be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use challenges, resources to assist individuals with a substance use challenge and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. We're bringing you another episode full of conversations with some of our organizational stakeholders. This month, we get to hear from China Darrington again, but this time with Summit Recovery Hub and Ken Vick of Benilde Hall. Stay tuned for stories from the field. And without further ado, let's get talking. Well, China, thanks for being here. I know our listeners are probably familiar with you and your work over at Thrive, but you're here to talk to us about Recovery Summit now, right? A Summit Recovery Hub. Summit Recovery. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. So we're a brand new, not brand new, we've been doing it since about July when our uh, 501c3 came through. But uh, we in Summit County, which is the Akron area, we're about 40 miles south of the Cleveland area. And we are a really service rich. So we have a lot of treatment providers. We have a lot of hospitals. We have um, we have about nine recovery providers. And we have about 22 agencies in our county that wow. employ or utilize peers in one form or another. So what we really wanted to do was take what was already working in Summit County and have kind of a hub, a backbone of support to really establish recovery as different from crisis intervention or maybe treatment interventions, like what recovery is, how to support and sustain recovery efforts, and of course, some advocacy of how to independently fund that process as well. So we wanted to amplify and augment what is already working well in Summit County and then convene some of those leaders and voices in recovery housing. We have uh, recovery faith-based organizations. We have uh, recovery re-entry coordination of care. We have recovery for our uh, our unsheltered population. So there's just a lot of um, a lot of good work being done. And we wanted to kind of convene all those voices and make sure that we were really kind of pushing the pedal to the metal in in terms of advancing that in Summit County, and then hopefully um, establishing that as a framework for other recovery providers statewide and nationwide, maybe. Yeah, (laughs) you read my mind because my next question was like, well, you guys need to write like a toolkit or something so other counties can start doing this. Yeah. So, you know, I've done recovery supports for about 15 years in a, a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, and we're getting to the point where we really want to start establishing, well, we want to grow and develop the next generation and the generation after that of recovery leaders in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm 52 at this point. I imagine I'm, you know, there. I have an expiration date at some point, but I also want a lot of new energy. I want mm-hmm. those younger, you know, uh, more nascent in their recovery development and pathways. I want them to have an advocacy voice and to be able to really control their professional development and advancement in recovery supports as a vocation profession career. I love that. Yeah, we, I, both my mom and my aunt, they work in healthcare and they're both in senior leadership. And they've, even growing up, I remember them saying, like, I always go into a role. I always start out on a team thinking about, all right, what's next? Who's next? Yeah. And I, 
I, I just think that's so paramount to sustainability in any organization doing any sort of work. Yeah, for, um, for sure. So I'm, you know, I'm very excited that we, that Summit County gets to come together and kind of create this. But again, looking statewide, I see this being beneficial for other RCOs, other recovery housing, other, uh, you know, other other services and supports that come at it from a completely different trajectory than maybe mm-hmm. I do um, to really have some bones about how to advance their role in this recovery paradigm as well. That's incredible. Did At the beginning, was this something that, like for the folks at the table who have been convened, were they kind of the impetus or the start of this or was this you or someone else who was like, you know, I see this happening and I think we could be doing it more unified. So when I moved into my role as a director of advocacy and public policy for, you know, Thrive Peer Recovery Services, it was the first time in 15 years of recovery supports that I didn't have a direct caseload. Uh, So I wasn't working with with people hands-on like I used to. And I realized um, I, I miss being with my people. You know, I miss being connected and really touching, you know, people who tell me, no, this is the barrier. This is what I need. You know, what are their person-centered strength-based goals and how can we, um, how can we help them address that? You know, again, the mission statement for China is always how can we smooth and shorten the pathway to somebody understanding the disorder they're faced with and um, stabilizing and uh, moving in the direction of their goals. And um, so I realized I wanted to use my spare time <laughs> to uh, to kind of convene and coordinate the recovery providers. It all started with a recovery brunch and then a series of brunches where I convene criminal justice stakeholders, uh, public official stakeholders, and kind of said, this is this is kind of what I'm thinking, and this is how I'm thinking it could come together. And I want to see what you think this could do for, you know, you touch people with substance use and mental health issues. You know, your, your courts do, your correctional facilities do, your recovery houses do, uh, the policy that you're... Um, voting on does. So mm-hmm. how how do you see this benefiting you? And so we just kind of invited lots of conversations the first half of the year. And then um, when we had some ideas of maybe some programs that we could put into place, we, we got a domain, uh, set up some social media accounts, um, got a, you know, a Google voice number so we don't have to pay for it yet. And, you know, we're just basically uh, and then we, of course, uh, created a business and and got our 501c3 status. Um, we convened our board. We've got, uh, we have five initial board members. They're all powerhouses in the recovery community, has a lot of diversity, has a lot of representation, and has a lot of um, different sectors that are involved in recovery support. So I'm really excited to, to have all of those people and I'm thrilled that they were willing to participate in this. And then we convened an advisory council of 12 additional members from everything from our behavioral health boards that kind of, um, you know, decide what 
uh, community needs are, where the gaps are, and and wh- who what agency is going to you know fill those gaps. So um, we've got hospital systems, we've got uh, co- coalitions represented. So there's just a lot of exciting stuff going on, and. Um, I'm anxious to, you know, because I, I can come up with all sorts of ideas, but if they're not actually helpful to the people that we're serving, then uh, I need those voices at the table to tell me, no, China, this is what we're going to do. So um, we've been able to have a couple events already this year. Nice. Um, we had our um, biggest event on August 31st for Overdose Awareness Day. And Summit County, uh, our stats were we lost 235 Summit County individuals to drug overdose in 2021. So we can we wanted to convene 235 individuals in our purple end overdose T-shirts and our purple flags. And we have a landmark bridge that has um, a, a pretty significant landmark of uh, St. Thomas Hospitals. So that's where, you know, if the in the AA fellowship, Bill and Bob hooked up for the first time. Um, so we convened from St. Thomas Hospital across this All-American Bridge uh, towards our downtown area. And uh, so, you know, to represent the lives lost. But we actually, we wanted 235. We actually got over 300 people. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so it was a pretty, it was a, a pretty hectic event. Um, you know, the Akron area had the Jalen Walker shooting and so the city was not giving out uh, permits mm-hmm. <laughs> at this time. So we had to wait and wait and wait. And 20, of course, we couldn't publish anything before we had the permit. Um, so 20 days in advance of August 31st, we got the permit. And then I happened to have need to have surgery about two days after that. So I was 10 days out of surgery when, when this event came came through, but it, it went off without a hitch. So it was really good. And we're looking forward to having a, another big event next year too. That's really incredible. Do you feel like the, the community has been really receptive? They really have. It's been amazing. You know, I've, I try to come at things with, okay, I can come up with crazy ideas and sometimes I need you guys to put the brakes on it or tell me if I'm, if I'm getting ahead of myself. And, um, you know, I've made sure that this, this is not my idea. Like I, I'm a dot connector, you know, mm-hmm. being, being advocate and policy person, I know how to have conversations with key stakeholders and, and put opportunities uh, next to people who can fulfill those, but like the the leadership of some of these programs is definitely not in my hands. I want to stay in the back. Um, I love my job as a director of policy and advocacy, uh, so I want to keep doing that if possible. Uh, but whatever I can do to support this, um, but I I want to see the Summit County people come together and do this. Yeah. When you were having those initial conversations, like I think you said a series of brunches, was there were there any challenges you faced in like navigating these conversations or do you feel like people were on board from the get go? I think they were on. Well, they were kind of curious. They they mm-hmm. weren't quite sure what a recovery community organization was or mm-hmm. um, or why we needed it. 
And so basically just taking the ARCO best practices and showing them, you know, these are the guiding, these are the dimensions of recovery. This is the patient journey, the seven areas that we need to to get people to sustain their recovery efforts. Um, This is the multiple pathways of recovery. We don't want to narrow the path to anyone. Um, This is, um, you know, it, it has to be independent, has to be grassroots, has to be a nonprofit, you know, all of the different principles of the ARCO best practice. And a lot of it was uh, those initial conversations were like treatment centers who said, oh, yeah, we'd love to have this. And I'm like, nope, has to be independent. Oh, mm-hmm. healthcare system. Yeah, we'd like to do it. Board says we'd like to do it. So basically churches, they wanted to do it. So making sure that we kind of stood firm in that, nope, we have to be recovery led and independent. We can't be affiliated with anybody who might change our mission from serving people with substance use and mental health disorders. Right. And then of course the the challenge is always, how are you going to fund it? And we're still in the process of that. Um, But we actually came up with a budget that was, uh, more reasonable than I thought it was going to be. You know, when I, my, my, my number head kind of put some stuff together and when I actually put the individual programs and then the administrative costs inside of it, you know, I know this is probably boring to most people, but I was like, this is workable. You know, this is yeah. definitely a, and of, of course um, I highly recommend not putting all your eggs in one basket. So having a diverse array of funders is the goal. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I can't speak for all of our listeners, but I don't think it's boring. I think these are the nuts and bolts people need. Like from my perspective at the COE, a lot of like the TA requests we get, or a lot of the people who are coming to our trainings, they're like, Hey, I've been doing this work for a while. I would love to start this in my community or at this organization. And that's a large part of where they're at. Like they need those nuts and bolts of like, how do I get this funded? How do I get this organized? So yes, and that that is the it's the boring stuff. But if you don't have those pieces in place, it's really hard to have the energy, time, or resources to be able to do the work, the exciting work. Right, and I think I love what you were saying about kind of how you know how you operate you're the you're the idea person you're the you're the momentum you're like yeah connecting the dots you're like let's do this let's do this and then you surround yourself with people who are like that's a great idea china but or let's we need to do this first or slow down a little bit like i just in any of my professional experience like those are those are the best teams to be a part of when you've got a nice like sp- even spread of diverse types of workers, styles of workers, voices and representation, like it always just comes together so much better that way. It absolutely does. I, uh, I don't like being parts of teams where a single person takes up all the air in the room. Yeah. So I, I love cultivating conversations of curiosity and, and ambition. (laughs) If if we had no boundaries, no barriers, what would we do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good place to start. If you're like, again, I always sometimes I try to think of these like podcast recordings or these episodes being like nuggets of things people can take and use, you know, whatever they're dreaming of. But 
So I think that's always a good place to start. Like if you didn't have, if there was nothing in your way, what would, what do you want? Or, and you know, maybe that is for yourself. Maybe that's for your community or maybe it is for as big as what you want for the world. I want recovery ecosystems within arm's reach of anybody wherever they live in, a, in this country or in the world. <laughs> I love that. I think a lot of our listeners and our team, me, like that's true for, for all of us. Yep. So we've got to work together, you know, housing yeah. providers, treatment, hospitals, you know, child care, child serving systems, family dynamics, you know, we've got to all work together and, and get out of our little silos and make sure we're, we're collaborating to maximize our impact and our resources. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Substance use touches everyone everywhere, whether it's, you know, the individual or a family member, a friend, the person you're sitting next to on an airplane. So as ubiquitous as, this, as that is, recovery needs to be also. Yeah, certainly does. Mm-hmm. We're able to have a couple other events. We had um, we've done like overdose and naloxone harm reduction 101, and it's actually a lot of anti-stigma and, and normalizing the conversation around harm reduction is not a radical idea. And we're taking that into communities that um, this is you know like normally we do a harm reduction 101, and everybody in the room already knows pretty much everything that we're talking about, but. We're trying to get into some areas of the community that maybe are still a little hesitant, you know, still a little hesitant to to realize that harm reduction isn't um, a radical idea or, you know, supporting substance use disorder, but reducing the harm of it. Um, We had a peer training day. So we have a um, we have the Summit County Peers, which I've been the volunteer coordinator for them for a number of years. And so the Summit Recovery Hub's kind of putting a little more structure into that. We have bi-monthly meetings that we invite every certified peer who lives in Summit County uh, or works in Summit County. So, uh, and the goal for that is that if you hire a Summit County peer, you've got one of the best peers in the state. Like, you know that they have had opportunities for networking and, uh, you know, development of competencies at an advanced level. We're trying to create specialty leadership tracks. So ED peers versus court peers versus community peers versus correction peers, you know, whatever the setting is, having kind of specialty tracks for that. And then in Ohio, you have to have 30 CEUs and about nine uh, mandatory topics. So we're trying to have peer training days where we can get together and, you know, share some time and network a little bit, but then knock out about three or four of those mandatory trainings. Um, Because I, having been the volunteer coordinator for a number of years, the most frequent call I get is I'm about to need to recertify and I don't have enough training hours. Where do I go? So being able to kind of catch people up on that. Um, but again, you know, I see this as how, uh, when I speak with the employer of peers, um, you know, I'm hearing a lot that the certification process is not enough, that there's some job readiness and some mentoring and some, um, you know, some specialty training needed to really be able to do your job well. 
and I want to grow and develop the peer field in general. Um, but I want us to be, I want us to be really good at what we do so that we can help some people. Yeah. So being able to kind of framework about that, but I love getting together with my people, you know, my, my worker bees and the people we serve. It just does nothing but bring me joy. Yeah. It's, it's grounding is how I would describe it. It just like, it's that good reminder of like, okay, this is why I'm getting up in the morning. This is, these are the people I love. This is the work that I love. Yeah. 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 So the, we've got a workforce development program. We've got a program specifically for pregnant and parenting people with substance use disorder and the barriers that they face. And a large portion of that is their intersection possibly with child welfare systems Mm. and how to navigate and reduce harms of that. Um, We're going to work with our county behavioral health board on uh, creating some good messaging around uh, anti-stigma, anti-discrimination, normalizing the conversations around substance use disorder as manageable chronic conditions. Um, you know, community outreach, making sure we're, we're uh, getting good coverage. We're going to have, um, hopefully be a service entity for naloxone distribution, but naloxone is just the tip of the iceberg. We'd like to see all sorts of harm reduction strategies being implemented in an innovative way in Summit County. And then next year, yeah, our next steps are physical location. (laughs) So right now we're we're renting space whenever we have an event. Um, And we would love to be able to lease a space at first and then uh, capital budgets come around every two years. So uh, we want to have some established, well-established um, programming with some good data supporting it uh, before we go in for a capital request. So that's a still a, a, about 20 months out. Um, but we are having a Recovery Awareness Day next February 11th, and that's a Saturday. And we're going to have a whole day um, event, uh, but it's in two-hour convening sessions. And the first two hours is public officials. So elected and appointed officials, agency heads. Um, And uh, the second one is judges, probation, adult parole, corrections, and the prosecutor. And the third is first responders. So sheriffs, law enforcement, EMTs, fire. And if we can get our emergency department staff there as well, Uh, We want them as well. But and again, it's just really to give a little 40 minute presentation on um, a lot of people conflate treatment and crisis service from recovery. And they think, you know, we're we're intervening at this extreme level. Um, How do we support that? How do we sustain the community investment we're already making? And for for us to be able to explain, well, you've got to sustain recovery. And this is what recovery is. These are, you know, these are some pathways that people reach it. And these are some milestones that we want to get people to if you really want this to kind of help work in changing a person's life. Um, And to really kind of position that as, hey, you work with our people, and you say you want the same same things we do. um, But this is what we need to get there. 
So we're looking forward to that. We're going to do Overdose Awareness Day next year. Uh, and then we're going to have an end of end of recovery month. So the last uh, Saturday in September, we're going to bring everybody together and have a, a nice community event for that as well. Oh, I love that. I feel like a lot of <laughs> September now gets really front loaded and then it's like crazy and you have to pick and choose. So I love that you guys are doing it at the end of the month, kind of a nice wrap up. Last Saturday. Yeah. Nice. Well, dang, China. I don't know how you, first of all, I don't know how you do it all. <laughs> I get so excited that I'm allowed to do what I do. I can't, unless they, unless they physically restrain me, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I love that. Love that. Um, for folks who want to get connected to, to Summit Recovery Hub, how do they do that? Well, summitrco.org. So recovery community organization, the website summitrco.org. Uh, you can also find us at Summit Recovery Hub on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you needed to reach us by phone, it's 330-871-9702. Thanks so much for letting me be a December stakeholder for the Pierce Center of Excellence. It's always yeah. a joy. Well, thank you. It's always a joy for us as well. All right, listeners. Well, with me today is Ken of Benilde Hall. Um, Ken, thank you for being here today. Do you want to let folks know a little bit about you? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Ken Vick. I'm the executive director at Benilde Hall. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery uh, and uh, been working in this field uh, of helping homeless men, homeless veterans with substance use disorder for a long time now. Um, feel real blessed to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. So did you did you start Benilde Hall? Were you part of their origin story or did you come on later? No, I came on later. I actually, uh, Benilde actually started in 93. So we're coming up on our 30 year anniversary in 23. Um, but I came uh, back in 2011 as an intern. Um, came here and uh, it I wasn't even halfway through my practicum class and they hired me as a counselor in training. And yes. next thing you know, a year later, I'm the senior counselor and I'm moving forward and so on and so forth. Uh, so I was here in 2011. Then I left and, and managed uh, some stuff for comprehensive mental health and Dismas House of Kansas City. And then I came back to be the executive director here in uh, 2020. Very cool. Do you want to talk a little bit about the programming and what all Benilde offers? Absolutely. I, I think Benilde Hall is a very unique program. Uh, we've been very blessed with what we do and everything. We are a transitional housing program with full treatment um, and a, a lot of peers. Um, I love to hire people that have successfully gone through my program. Uh, we actually pay for them to take the peer specialist trainings um, and actually Benilde Hall pays for, pays for all certifications and trainings for anybody that works here. That's awesome. Uh, because I feel like uh, we're always trying to grow, get better, so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. Benilde Hall has here, we're in the inner city of Kansas City, uh, and we have a couple of different campuses, but the main campus is the entire block off 23rd Street in college. And 
we have a little bit of everything right here on site. We have 108 beds for for men, 53 for homeless veterans and 55 for everybody else that works with a, a lot of reentry, um, municipal drug court, domestic violence court, things like that. We're a men's program. Um, we are looking at opening a women's program, but we haven't yet. Uh, and what we offer here is uh, any type of programming for the most part to help people put their feet back on the ground. Uh, we also have a, uh, a fun and recovery aspect. I focus a lot on that. So many times when you look at recovery, people think of, well, you got to do groups, you got to go to work, you got to do this, you got to do that. People forget that recovery needs to be fun as well, or we don't do it. Mm. Um, and so we have different stuff like that. I also use uh, Nigerian dwarf goats as part of the treatment here. We have four of them on site, uh, <laughs> along with a few chickens. Fresh eggs are always a good thing. Um, I actually go do goat time every day. So it, it, it turns my brain off for self-care. But that's just one of the, the few unique things we do. What we do at Benil, though, is we have a couple of different programs. One of our programs we're real proud of is our uh, it's for homeless veterans. It's a safe haven program and it's a harm reduction program, which means we focus on safety and housing. And we mm -hmm. have 25 beds for that. Um, and what that means is for those that are still struggling and aren't ready to quit using substances or anything like that, they still have a safe place to stay and we still help them get uh, housing. Um, we already know that people that go through a program like this basically are five to 10 times more likely to actually enter treatment later. So it makes a difference. Um, one of the things I do down in the safe haven program is make sure that I have multiple peer specialists. So we have multiple people that can share lived experience and actually hopefully motivate and inspire. Mm -hmm. um, but the safe haven program, we have a nurse, uh, we have a case manager and a clinical director and uh, several, like I said, uh, peer specialists and what we want to do is just help motivate, inspire and keep our keep our veterans safe in that program. And then we have two other veteran programs that are actually connected to treatment and then all of the the other guys. We uh, we come at recovery from a very holistic point of view. Um, the guys can live here for up to two years. Uh, average stay is anywhere from 70 to 90 days. Uh, we notice success rates are better when they're here three to six months at least. Mm -hmm. um, it, it makes a difference. We really do come at uh, recovery from a uh, person-centered approach. Every program claims it. We actually try and do it where one person's going to come in and they need certain requirements, so many groups, so many sessions, so many different things like that. And the next person that walks in the door already has their feet on the ground. They're just at a point where they're struggling a little bit. And so they need less. And so we're going to work with that. We don't have strict requirements on, well, you have to do 12 groups a week or anything like that. Um, it, it really is uh, specialized for each individual. Um, the main focus that we focus on at Benil Hall is DBT, uh, dialectical behavior therapy. Um, I absolutely love it. I think it should be taught in high school, of course, it's different than when I was in high school. So maybe the kids are smarter and we should back it up to middle school or elementary <laughs> school. I'm not sure. But DBT is all about, you know, learning to identify your emotions, accept your emotions, use your rational mind and actually use them together so you can make better decisions. And let's face it, our entire society needs that right about now. But yeah, um, we 
focus on that a lot, but we also do smart recovery. We have 12 step meetings. We have spirituality meetings. Um, and we actually try and help anybody with any form of recovery that they're looking at. We have family meetings. We have a couple of different fatherhood groups, uh, dad's ethics, stuff like that. Um, financial groups. We really do try and do a lot as far as helping the guys get everything they need here. Um, so education wise, we offer a multitude of things. Um, we also have a full kitchen with a chef. Um, and the average guy that walks through our door gains about 30 pounds. And, and if you think about it, if the average person only stays 70 to 90 days. They're gaining a lot of weight quick because they're eating really good. Um, <laughs> my predecessor, Kent Jewell, taught me a long time ago. It's like you keep somebody with a full belly and they're more likely to listen. And so we know that our sessions, our groups, everything are better when people are comfortable. You know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of values and that really does matter. So we make sure that we feed them really good. There's always snacks out there. Um, at Benil Hall, obviously, because the guys live here, we have 24-7 staff and we have clinical staff from 7 in the morning until 11 p.m. at night, seven days a week. So when somebody is struggling, we actually have somebody that's, that's trained a little bit more to help them. And we have peer specialists on every single shift. Um, and if I have my way, I'm going to have uh, every single person in recovery on my team trained as a peer specialist. Um, I'm actually one of the trainers for the state of Missouri. So I train spirits, peer specialists and help to certify them. Um, we do not go just overly heavy on people in recovery, though. I, I've worked in a lot of different places mm -hmm. and I've been in a place that was very clinically based and very few people in recovery and people in recovery didn't have a voice. First mm -hmm. off, that's ridiculous. People in recovery need a voice um, mm -hmm. and they need a valid, loud voice. Um, but I've also worked in a program to where I hired more people in recovery and I had less, we call it normies, however you want to call them. Um, <laughs> yeah people that, that aren't necessarily in recovery. And when I say recovery, I'm not talking just substances. I'm talking behavior, health and everything. So sure. uh, most of us are dealing with trauma or something, but, um, and, and it gets too heavy with just recovery and we mm -hmm. kind of get off pace too, and we need to be more inclusive and include everybody. And so our team here at Benil Hall is very diverse. We are recovery heavy, but I do have a couple of people not in recovery that actually have really good empathy and really good understanding uh, that have actually worked with me for several years, a licensed uh, counselor and stuff like that. Um, but we really try to come at this whole thing differently to make a difference. Uh, Kansas City has a major issue with homelessness, mm -hmm. substance use disorder, um, and those two don't always go hand in hand, of course, and, and we do we work with both. But it's real interesting because here just recently, as across the nation, you know, fentanyl has just taken off. But mm. in Kansas City, we've been a little bit shielded from it as compared to St. Louis and some of the other areas. And we're not anymore. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So we teach uh, harm reduction techniques. Um, every single one of my staff, not my staff, my team, um, have Narcan in their office. Uh, we have fentanyl test strips. Um, I share that with anybody and everybody I possibly can. I go to other programs and train uh, people how to use Narcan. I actually went to a police department, a small police department in a small city, kind of in the suburbs of Kansas City, and I trained their whole department on how to use Narcan. That That's was awesome. kind of cool. 
Yeah. Uh, seeing the look on their face when I explained safe use techniques. <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> um, so a, a, a lot of what we do here at Vanilla sounds like we're very holistic and we are. But mm -hmm. in the same instance, our focus isn't we do everything perfect. Our focus is we're going to do everything that we do and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. And then we're going to bring in all these other community agencies. Um, we have great relationships with like Swope and University Health and Rediscover and different places here in Kansas City that we specifically work real closely with because I'm really good at substance use disorder and homelessness and the other behavioral health stuff. But there are so many more things to it. And mm -hmm. I think we need to break down the silos in our cities all over the place. Stop trying to be the best at everything and be the best at what we are the best at. And then utilize everybody. Um, I find it interesting that we sit there and try and debate on how many people, you know, that's my client or that's my person or anything like that. But yet every program I know has a waiting list. And it's like, let, let's remove the waiting lists. Um, it's a it's a little ridiculous, the silos that we put up, and I'm really doing our best to, to tear them down so we can help more people. Yeah. I, so. I'm curious if you'd be willing to speak more to, like, how have you started having those conversations or how have you really tangibly built those relationships? Because, yeah, it is incredibly siloed. And I think that that seems to be a theme that comes up a lot in my conversations with folks. It's like, yeah, how do we have those conversations? How do we, you know, get the buy-in for folks to realize, like, if we want to take care of people, that takes a whole spectrum of care and there's room for everyone at the table. There's room for everybody and a couple more. I'm just saying yeah. uh, what what I do specifically is I created a leadership group and everything. So I, I contacted the the president uh, or the, the CEO, whatever their titles are of all the different community mental health here in Kansas City. Um, swope, different things like that. And what I've done is I will go talk to them. I have no issues. I'm going to go chase people down, talk to them. Um, we we're also blessed with the ability. I actually was able to write a grant um, that uh, the Health Forward Foundation actually helped me with the first year I had it. Um, and it was for a mental health coordinator. And what she did specifically was take our guys to other programs and actually sit with them through intakes. So it wasn't just referral out. It was specifically take them there. What we learned was how frustrating it is, first off, because she would come back very upset. She is a very experienced professional. She's a certified peer. She's been with me for five years. And she would come up back irritated on how hard it was to get in. You got to figure out how hard it is for our guys then that are still struggling. Yeah. Um, but so that's one of the things that we did is because I'm not fighting funding sources with them which means they can be in my program and somebody else's program. And in fact, I prefer it that way because I want the more the merrier, uh -huh. you know, it is a uh -huh. community. Uh, but I, I, I make sure that our team puts a concerted effort out at specifically talking to other programs. I'll talk to leadership and go around and try and make sure that all that's working. And it's interesting because a lot of times leadership thinks we're working well together, <laughs> but you get down to the people that actually do the work and they're not doing it the same. Um, and it's not on them necessarily. It's just, you know, this is a, a really chaotic, busy type of uh, profession. And it's hard to do certain things sometimes. And it's hard to actually include people. But 
I, I just, I get out and I talk to people as much as I can and I try and start with the top down. So okay. I think, I think we can be better at it. Kansas city actually has a lot of resources and the more that we actually talk, the more that we actually work together, uh, they're out there. Um, and we need to stop worrying about, Oh, this is mine. That's yours. Blah, blah, blah. It's our community. It's our community. And Benilde Hall, me as the, as the director and everything, our focus is the community. Um, and that is all of Kansas city. There's not one person in Kansas city that's not affected by homelessness or substance use disorder one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's always the hard thing for me to reconcile when people either don't want to talk about recovery or don't, I don't know, just don't seem to connect with it. Cause I think like, man, even if you as an individual are not affected by substance use challenges or mental health challenges, you know someone who is, or you work with someone who is, or it's a fan, you know, and I just think, man, how do you not get that? Or how does that? And I know it's a, it's a learning process and we all have to get there and it's not like a quick overnight thing, but yeah, that's always, that's always the challenge for me. I, I think a lot of the times we get caught up in not understanding what recovery looks like first off. Mm-hmm. Some people are stuck on, well, it's a substance use disorder or whatever. There's there's so many people that are in recovery from depression and anxiety, uh, things like that. It's the same tools. It's the same different things that you're going to do to succeed. Um, and when we start recognizing that all that, you know, that all interacts, it, it mm-hmm. makes a difference. And when we start recovering out loud a little bit more often, um, too mm. many people are like, well, I didn't tell anybody or any of that. I, I think if anything, it's it's real interesting. We actually got a blessing out of COVID because the whole world is paying attention to mental health because of it. I don't want to say that we got a blessing because people passed away because of a pandemic or anything. But the awareness that we've gained through it, I think, has made a difference. And more people are willing to talk about being in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes a difference. I, I've had several people sit there and say, well, I can't really be a peer specialist. And I'm like, why not? And you're like, well, because I'm not in recovery. I've never had a problem with substances. I'm like, okay, aren't you seeing somebody for depression? Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Recovery. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. who hasn't dealt with some form of trauma over the last couple of years? Oh, my goodness. You're so right. Yeah. Um, If we can jump back a little bit, I... I love that your program, it seems like you offer a whole menu of like, you know, smart recovery, 12 step goats. (laughs) Um, Do you, and, and it's person driven. So how, what does that look like? Does the, the person entering the program, do you just give them a, a menu and say, here are your options? What are you interested in? Like how much is guided? What does that look like? Um, when they come in, they're, they're given a group schedule, stuff like that. For the most part, what they're going to do is, is they go through, you know, typical type of intake. I try to make that as uh, not harming, not harming as much as I can. You know, intakes can be uh, annoying, you know, same assessment 20 times. We, we try to do it as simple as possible. And then what I want to happen is for that individual and their counselor to sit down and talk. Um, 
and, and see what's really going on. Um, I prefer most people not to try and get a job for the first two weeks or so. I want a little bit of stability. Um, and then after that, I want them to get a job. We, we want people to be working and, and members of society, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, they're all members already, but I mean, I want them sure. to feel connected and like they're, they're beneficial. Um, and so they're going to come in, they're going to get a group schedule. They're going to get talked to about basic requirements and stuff like that. Um, and then they're going to sit down and they'll go through an assessment, a treatment plan and all that with their counselor and them and their counselor will decide they're going to make their recovery plan. I know we call it a treatment plan almost everywhere, but I like to think of it. It's the recovery plan. And that's going to be stuff that the, the client, the peer themselves wants to work on. Um, I don't, I'm never going to have a treatment plan that says, you know, remain med compliant or anything like that. Cause nobody's ever used that phrase in their life unless they're telling you how you shouldn't be doing a treatment plan. So, right. <laughs> it, Did you- it's so, it, it is really person centered because I don't want to dictate for every single person. Uh, we have 500 men that roll through here every year. Um, mm-hmm. We are adding 16 beds for 2023. So I'm going to have over 600 roll through um, in 2023. And to have that many people come through, if you have just one basic guidelines for your plan, for your program, you're not going to catch them all. Um, I I think one of the beauties of how we have this, where it is really person-centered and everything also contributes to the fact that we have a 70% success rate. Um, and that means 70% of the gentlemen that come through this program leave with housing, income and abstinence and if you take those statistics are really good (laughs) Uh, especially when you sit there and look at the fact that they're leaving they're being uh self-sufficient and they feel good about themselves and stuff but that's part of what ends up if you have a real person-centered program you end up with good statistics and you end up with good outcomes because people feel good because you're actually addressing them Mm-hmm. for an as an individual how do you how do you all handle folks who aren't necessarily interested in abstinence as their recovery pathway for the most part it depends on the program if they're in the safe haven program it doesn't matter if they're in our other program abstinence is part of our program understanding that people are going to struggle so it's not like you know a lot of programs say well if you have three uh, UAs where you test positive for a substance, you're out or anything like that. We don't do that. We're willing to work with people. I understand the disease model mm-hmm. and very few people walk in and get it right. Okay, sure. Right off the bat. Um, and so people can, can go out, they can use. And as long as they're still willing to work on things and try and move forward, we're, we're mm-hmm. gonna, we're gonna help them. Uh, I also have to pay attention to the fact that they can't put other uh, people here in the program in jeopardy, mm-hmm. which means if somebody comes back intoxicated or something like that, we'll send them to their room. We'll ask them to stay away from people till they sober up so they don't activate other people. But if they really, truly just don't want to uh, stop using, then this really isn't the appropriate program for them. And I'm sure. going to do everything I can to refer them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I'm working real closely with the city of Kansas City and actually Rediscover Crisis Center um, to try and create a harm reduction program like safe haven for all of the for for non-veterans 
because we don't actually really have that in Kansas City. Everybody says, well, you have to be sober when you walk in. And, and where are we actually paying attention to safety? Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to create another harm reduction program so I can actually help people that don't want to work on uh, abstinence as one of their goals. Um, because let's face it, there are a lot of people that are going to use, a lot of people drink, mm -hmm. obviously with legal marijuana, a lot of people going to be smoking weed, mm -hmm. um, all this stuff. What do we do to actually still help them move forward? Because they may be able to do it and move forward. Okay? Me, myself, I'm in recovery from a bunch of things, but my substance use disorder, I know abstinence is my only way for me, but I know other people that if they actually address their trauma correctly, they don't really have a substance use disorder. They had a mm. trauma-induced issue. And so uh, we definitely try and work on that. One of my counselors is actually uh, a trauma specialist. And uh, so we do address those as best we can as well. Hmm. Well, I know we're sort of getting to the end of time. Is there any other parts of your programming that you want to... I'd love to hear more about the goats, selfishly. How did that get started? <laughs> so everybody has always heard about, you know, therapy dogs and all that stuff. And I wanted something that could stay outside. I'm in the inner city of Kansas City, so I have to pay attention to what's allowed. Mm -hmm. So I did a little research and, and livestock under 100 pounds is acceptable. An average goat is 150 pounds. So I got Nigerian dwarf goats. So they're about 60 pounds. They're, they're little dudes. They're my boys. Um, and I got four of those. And it is amazing. First off, I'm in the inner city and I work a lot with, with people from this area and everything. And most of them have never seen a goat. And if you've never seen a goat with their eyes or any of those things, that alone is really intriguing. But uh, they talk a lot. They demand attention. Um, and it, it's interesting because I've seen guys that just get out of prison after 10 years in prison. Mm -hmm. And they've never seen a goat. And within five minutes, they're out there sitting with the goat, taking a selfie, acting like a five-year-old boy again. And it is <laughs> so that. cool to see to see to see the person come out, the comfort yeah. and all that. Um, and so I, I wanted something different. And so I went and got the goats. Um, I, I wanted chickens too, so we have chickens. But uh, our rooster is actually named after Mark Alford from Fox Sports. Long story on that one, but it's kind of fun. If you're from Kansas, you'd know who he is. He's actually now an elected official. But uh, um, the goats are are so unique because people sit there and say, okay, well, a dog lays its head on your lap or something like that, and it's soothing and all that. Mm -hmm. um, a goat, if you go out there and sit with a client, and these goats will come up, they taste everything. So they're going to nibble on everything. It's interesting. They actually only have teeth across the bottom, not on the top in the front. So they can't oh. actually eat your clothes as much as you would think. They try, mm -hmm. but <laughs> they nibble on you. They demand attention. They rub their head on you, all this stuff. And what that does is occupy your hands, occupy your body and whatnot. And then as I'm sitting there talking to them as a counselor, next thing you know, I've got people talking to me about things that they've never even talked to anybody else about. I've had one gentleman sit there and go, dude, I've never told anybody that. I don't know why I'm sitting here talking to you as the goat <laughs> pushes him a foot away. So it's like the, the idea was I wanted something different. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted something unique. Uh, and little goats, they're awesome. I, I did have people ask me, so did you get fainting goats? And I'm like, 
No, because I have a lot of people with PTSD and if they don't know what a goat is and all of a sudden it falls over and looks like it's dead, it's going to activate some people. So I'm like, nope, no painting goats. Um, just Nigerian dwarf, dwarf goats. They're men, they're male. Uh, and they've all been fixed and dehorned. So they are just my big old babies. I walk outside and they see me walk outside. I used to say, and we all have this running joke because they know who I am, that they go, dad. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not dad because they have me well-trained. I'm pretty sure they're saying snack because they know I'm going to come and give them food. <laughs> so I love that. They, they are really interesting and unique. Um, I had somebody come in one time, one of one of our guys, and they're like, dude, there's all kinds of cops out there. I'm like, what in the world? Mm-hmm. And I walk outside, three cop cars pulled up. They didn't come to the parking lot or anything. I have a spot where they can pull up right by the goats. Mm-hmm. Three cop cars pulled up. They're right there by the goats. They get out. They got carrots. They got apples. The cops came to see my goats, too. And have one nothing to do with any of the guys. Of course, you know. <laughs> Sure. It, could... it activated some of our guys because we mm-hmm. have some history with police officers, but mm-hmm. uh, they got out and they were playing with them. I've got neighbors that come up and feed feed them through the fence and stuff like that. So it's just kind of become really a, a neat little attracting point. But if you really look at it from a treatment point of view, it's got some merit. It oh, really yeah. does work. Oh, yeah. And it's my self-care. We don't do enough self-care for ourselves in this field. Mm-hmm. And so it's my self-care. I go out and sit with them. And feed them and, and talk to them and they talk back. and yeah. <laughs> I love that, Ken, so much. Absolutely. It's it's a huge blessing. It's really neat. Uh, I, I have uh, clients that go out and take care of them for me. Um, and so there's that taking care of an animal aspect mm-hmm. um, that makes a difference. So it's really, it's just turned out to be a really good thing. I love that. Well, Ken, thank you so much for your time today. Is there and and your conversation and is there anything else you'd like to share? Maybe let people know how they can get connected if they're in the Kansas City area. Absolutely, uh, they can look us up on benildhall.org dot um, or call at eight one six eight four two five eight three six. Um, they can call that number and uh, talk to us or whatever, and we will see what we can do to to help out. Um, and that's help out with people coming in or resources. Anybody who wants to learn more about Narcan and harm reduction, uh, I will go to them and train them and give them free Narcan. Um, I get cases of it all the time. And so please, anybody that needs, needs it for any reason, uh, give us a call, 816 816- Eight four two five eight three six. Perfect. Thanks, Ken. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, 
nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.